Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is our great pleasure to welcome Caroline Kinlan to the show. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, thank you. I say we because I have my trusty co-host, or I guess I'm her trusty co-host, Jenna Sachs, on, with us today. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are going to be talking about field and channel. And the reason for that is because Caroline is VP of field and channel marketing at Veronis. They are a cybersecurity company focused on protecting enterprise data on premises and in the cloud. I'm psyched because it's uh, one of my gaps and I have two people who are much smarter about it than I am today, both Jenna and obviously our guest, Caroline, have have a deep experience in channel. So before we get there, Ka- Caroline, we'd love to n- get to know our guests a little bit. You know, we've read through your LinkedIn profile, so we're, you know, prepared to to grill you on your LinkedIn resume, but what's not on there that, that might be uh, of interest for us to know? Um, you probably can't tell from my picture, but I was in a couple of freckle contests when I was little, and unfortunately, I didn't win. I can't. I was a runner-up, so that was kind of disappointing for me, and I still think about it to this day. I have never ever heard of a freckle contest, and I've tried to avoid freckles, right? But uh, growing up, we didn't use sunblock, and <laughs> so I'm more than I probably my doctor would be happy about. Well, let's get into the heart of the matter. So, um, I mean, I would assume that just like the term B2B sales, the term channel means many things to many different people. So if you were explaining, you know, what does channel sales and marketing mean to to a lay person, and I'm, I'm going to assume I'm a semi lay person on this topic, how, how would you introduce it? I would consider it companies that you partner with to teach their customers and prospects about your company and products and how they would benefit them. So partnering with the channel to sell products. And I assume there's a lot of, there's not just one job that is, you know, partner manager. I would assume there are the, the, the roles that exist within companies in order to engage partners and their customers are quite varied. What are, what are some of the different roles that exist in, in organizations that have significant business in indirect channel? We have multiple teams who work with our partners. We have the marketing team who helps them with with campaigns and messaging um, and engagement tactics. We have uh, our engineering team who works with their engineering team on product capabilities and features. We have our enablement team who will train their technical teams and their sales teams on you know how to talk about the product and also its features and benefits. So there's a lot of overlap with the team. So we, we try to work really closely with all the teams that are involved with our partners. I know there's also many different ways to do an indirect sales structure. Just curious as to how you're currently doing that, if there's different segments that you're working with, such as alliances, reseller, what, what have you found is the best method of going about that? We have technical alliance partners. We have um, sales partners. So we, we work together with all of them on how we outreach to our customers. And we also have our own sales team. Yeah, one thing coming from the direct sales world I often run into is this concept of channel conflict, right? And I see different companies handle it in different ways, but especially when companies are evolving from being pure direct to being blended, there's this big issue. Like I think if I take a a, a really big company, oftentimes they'll say something to the effect of, we are going to identify these particular accounts and they're usually jumbo right? Enterprises over 10,000 employees, that sort of thing that we're going to have our direct team engage. 
And then we, we, they might even have multiple tiers of channel, right? They may have the mid-market channel and the, and the SMB channel. How do you guys approach managing channel conflict between your own direct sellers and your channel partners? We, we sell 100% through the channel, so there really isn't much conflict. We have national partners and then regional partners that we, we like to consider as um, our focus partners for those regions. So I would say there's very little conflict because we sell 100% through the channel. I'd like to drill into that for just a quick second. Um, when you say 100% through the channel, you did mention you have a direct sales team. Is that more of a co-sell motion? Who are they selling to? Our sales teams work closely with the channel sales teams on account mapping. We share with them who our target accounts are. And then we work closely with them to engage with them via events or roundtables or you know sales meetings. So that's, that's how it's working. And expanding on the channel partnership side, uh, the channel conflict side, right? So you have these national accounts. So I don't know, let's take a, a big telco, right? Like, you know, Verizon or something like that. And um, you might define that as a national account. How do you prevent the regional partner from calling on Verizon in New Jersey? Does each partner know what accounts they can and can't call on? Or is it kind of open season? How do, how do they know where to go and not to go? Again, it's like it's a it's like a shared um, process with our sales team. So if it is a national account, we we tell the partner that can we control what they're doing all the time? No, and I don't. We we don't really try to do that. But I think it's down to communication. Always communicating internally and externally who we're trying to outreach to and who we already who who is already a customer. And has Vronis has has it always been a hundred percent channel sales, or is there an evolution that got you there? There could be a lot of channel conflict maybe in the past, or that's kind of what I'm curious to learn more about the process of getting there. I've been here for nine years, and it's always been 100% through the channel. In the past, there may have been conflict between partners. You know, if they're, if they're both trying to work with us and both trying to sell into a specific account, that might have been an issue. But we've done a lot of work around ensuring that that's not happening any longer. What have you done to ensure that? identifying the partner, you know, our focus partners for each region. And those are the ones we're working with. And those are the ones we're investing our time, effort, and um, relationship with. So it's kind of like relationship building. And these are the ones we have relationships with. And, you know, we're benef- we're both benefiting from that relationship. We've had people come to us, or I've had people come to me from time to time as I've worked in these direct selling organizations. And, you know, they want to sell their product. If I'm in a larger company, right, they want to sell their product through our Salesforce. And in almost every instance, it never comes to fruition. And the thing that's in the way is there just is an inadequate incentive, right, for the sales team to to sell the other product, partly because they'll earn, you know, X percent if they sell our stuff and they'll earn some fraction of X if they sell the partner's thing and they're they're going after one budget. So they they know where they're going to maximize their commission check. It just is it is what it is, I would assume. And I, I know in cybersecurity, it's actually not unusual that most sales are through are through the channel. Is it the case that your channel partners typically they are value added resellers, and it's not that they're making their own product? I mean, they may have some services right on top of that, and and so on. But you know, their job is to package solutions together from third parties and and add their own value on top of that. Is that generally the types of partners you work with? The easy answer is yes. Yeah, I'm always kind of interested to figure it out, like. If you were in a company that had a direct sales team and someone came along with an interesting product, 
would it be charging the windmill or would you, what, what could you do to, to inspire your, your own direct sales team to take on that additional product? That's a good question. I don't know that I've ever considered that. I did. I mean, this is the first time I've ever been at a company that sells through the channel. Every other place I've been was direct sales. So yeah, I think it would have to be some kind of incentive-based sale, right? Or showing the benefit of how to, how to integrate the two products. Yeah. Yeah. I think the benefit piece is there. It's, it's almost as if you, you need to give, right, you have to give the same rate on quota and commission. Maybe J- Jenna, since you have also had some degree of channel experience, have you dealt with that mixed uh, environment like that before? I started primarily on a reseller business and it was it was a lot of marketing companies that were bundling our product with whatever else they were selling. So it was just one small piece of their entire package. So it was more about us enabling them and allowing them to sell our product in the context of how they sold their own product. So that was where I really started. And then when I got more into it, we started building out alliances and more of a referral partnership motion where they might have wanted to do services and they stepped away a little bit as we were starting to figure some of that out. That's when I I switched companies and went back more into uh, direct enterprise sales. So definitely a lot of conflict, a lot of things going on. We had a reseller, we had alliances, we had direct sales, and there was always conflict with partners wanting to sell to the same people, wanting, you know, cannibalizing some of our business. Um, But I think we never really had a lot of conflict with the different products because it did mesh well within each segment, even if it didn't mesh well within our org. Yeah. I once worked for, the com- for a company that they were old school. They had started out in catalog marketing and that's a, that's a channel also, right? Like direct mail is, is, is itself a channel. It's semi-independent of, of salespeople. Although they often, they can go online, obviously they can call to, to schedule and it was really complex because you had, you were sending catalogs to, people inside of businesses when people had mailboxes and 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 went to work and then these these sales reps were calling visiting what have you those exact same people right that buyer maybe for convenience just goes online and and orders off the catalog and uses a catalog discount code like in that instance we actually decided we're just going to pay the reps based on account ownership because we could not trace to at, you know direct attribution I, I would assume in the channel there may be instances of that too where you've got like that overlay sales team and you never know exactly how that how that business came in but you want to make sure that people get rewarded for their efforts i would assume that you're competing for their attention as well right that there may be other solutions that that they could bring to market which is very much the same situation as salespeople selling deals directly against competition what, what are some of the things that you guys do to make sure that you get the attention and the mind share of the the reseller? We do spend a lot of time on uh, enablement. So we do a lot of partner enablement series. We, we, tr- we try to do them in person, but for the last two years, we've been doing webinars, doing a lot of outreach that way. We meet with our partners on a regular basis regionally, the sales teams, our channel management meet with them closely as well. Newsletters, our portal, and then we work, you know, we do a lot of their sales kickoffs, their internal events. So that helps with the education of, you know, what what our products do, who we are, how we'd work with them. And then we try to, to uh, invest a lot with them, right, in terms of events, sponsorships, things we can do jointly. You know, if you were giving advice to someone who was trying to come up with new programs around events and sponsorships that are, I guess, fall into the partner development funds category, what are some of the 
things that you've done in the past that you found to be to be effective and and maybe some that weren't effective and and the reason I ask this is you know I used to be in marketing before I was in sales and I found for instance that exhibiting on a trade show floor and giving out swag right had very low return versus booking a, a private restaurant or a sometimes it was just like a suite in a hotel that could be you know they could take the beds out obviously and set it up as a conference room where you had pre-invited people to them. It's like they're they are at the event, which is the decision makers are at the event, but they're not walking the trade show, the trade show floor. So I'm just as a setup, I'm curious what what are some of the approaches that you've used to make those partner development dollars go further? Yeah, I, I agree. You like there's there's very little that will happen. I mean, I, I consider the larger trade shows more of a branding and awareness activity. The things that work the best, I think, are like executive roundtables where we might have a customer and 10 or 11 prospects, and the customer will talk about their experience with our product. A lot of the other ones that have been successful are where there's an experience, right? Race car driving or some kind of sporting event, but we have you know, a joint presentation before or during the event. Those are the ones that I think people are more likely to attend and get the most out of. Years ago, when I was in marketing, um, I'm not a sports person. It's it's all sports ball to me. I have I have no clue. And I was talking to one of our sales leaders earlier today, and he's like, "So you're excited about the the Florida State Miami game coming up this weekend, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, is that football, basketball, baseball, or what? I don't even know what you're talking about." Uh, anyway, I was uh, Oracle once invited me to I think a Yankees game, and I had zero intention of going. One because I don't know. I have an ethical line that I draw about that sort of thing. But the other piece was, I was just also thinking this can't be effective. And and I was, I talked to their CMO at the time and she told me sports marketing is like their highest ROI thing that they do. I was, I was blown away by that. I saw Jenna shake her head that she's a sports ball person too. I, I don't know whether you're a sports person or not, but any theories on, on why sports marketing is so effective? You know, in some cases, maybe it's a, uh something somebody might not necessarily spend their own money on. Like I'm going to spend $250. I don't know how I'm just making a number up on a ticket to something. But, you know, this vendor invited me. I like the vendor. I like the partner. I love the the team. So I'm going to go. And it's also exciting, especially if you're a fan, like you really get into the game and it's a fun experience. So I guess it's, that would have something to do with it. I'm not allowed to go to Yankee Stadium anymore because every time I go in person, they lose. So I've, st- <laughs> I've stopped going to games. I mean, I will say, even as a sports ball person, it is fun to go to a game. I went to an Austin FC game the other day, and it was just about the experience of being there. There's really good garbage food for you everywhere, um, as expensive as it is. But I think it's the overall experience. There is something for everyone, even if you're not going to intently watch the game. It's much better than watching it on TV. You don't even have to watch the game. There's so much fun people watching that you can spend most of your time doing that as well. You're bringing good memories for me. I went, uh, my father-in-law went to the Naval Academy and he was keen to go to the Army-Navy game and he invited me to the game and I did have a great time, right? And and you just mentioned Major League Soccer. It feels very accessible. It's a lot more fun than I, than I would have expected. I suspect there's a correlation and causation thing at play also, right? Which is, you know, if we were very likely to have purchased from Oracle or been a great customer, right? They were trying to switch us over from another platform. And if I was likely to make that decision, I'm more likely to actually go to the event because I'm already I'm already sold. Whereas I, I I almost I would feel bad about going 
if I wasn't going to buy from them, right? It's yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't feel right. So I guess there's a degree of correlation causation at play there. But I, I, I follow. I think you're right. It also just builds relationships and warmth. We do also pre-COVID, but we're going to start these up again. Is um, we would do monthly dinners in New York and invite you know like 50 50 clients and prospects and be very intentional about seating assignments. Right, happy clients next to next to prospects, preferably a similar enterprise sizes and and all that sort of thing. Uh, 50, 50 male, female also, because obviously we have a, like most companies and as, as we should, as human beings have a commitment to, you know, DEI. So, uh, those were incredibly effective. Again, I don't know correlation causation, but I have friendships, right. That I've developed after those dinners, legit friendships, whether or not people became customers of ours or not. I think with anything like that, you're building a community and especially with partnerships and channel sales, you're, you're building a community with somebody else too, that's has the same goal in mind. And I think that takes it even a step further sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the whole community aspect is really relevant. Like you're you are trying to build a community of people who like are rowing in the same direction towards like this is what we're trying to do. And even with the customers, them understand or potential customers understanding like, yeah, this is a problem we can help you solve. And here are all the people who are here to support that happening for you. And just speaking of community, as you mentioned earlier that you know, you have a partner portal and a lot of enablement materials, things like that. How, what is your general strategy with having a partner portal? Is it, is it like a community there as well? Well, that's what we're trying to get to. Um, we're, we're trying to do a, a revamp of the portal, but the goal is to build a space where it's uh, shared knowledge, you know, finding answers to questions you may have, having a place to find all the documentation you'd need to, to either support the product, train people on the product, know how to use the product or how to talk about it to your prospects and customers. So just having that all in one place for employees, partners, and also one for customers. So that's that's our goal. Coming out of COVID, we're all starving for more. Most of us, I should say, there are some extreme infro- introverts, but most of us are starving for more human interaction. And, and there does seem to be a proliferation of community out there have you thought much about whether it matters if it's a company-owned community, right? So like a Veronis community or a community that you sponsor? I, I guess it doesn't have to be an or, it can be an and, but do you think much about that separation and, and whether that matters in terms of how you recruit and engage people? We do think about like that, about that. I, I'm, I'm part of communities and some are sponsored by companies and some are, are not. It's just people with the same job title. I, I think the goal of a community is to have like a shared experience and to help people with questions. And when they have to worry about, am I going to be sold to while I'm in this community? I think that's something to think about. Like, and we do talk about that. I don't know that we came up with the, with an answer yet, but I think it would be great if it was like an agnostic kind of place for people to go and have a shared experience. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel, and I've talked to plenty of people about this as, as you know, I thought about building communities and I was a Gartner for a very long time, right? Which is effectively an agnostic community, right? That I guess Gartner might try to sell to you, but it's the community is really about getting, you know, whatever it happens to be IT decision makers together to exchange ideas and experiences and best practices and advice without being sold to, you know, we would keep the vendors separate from, you know, from the IT decision makers. And then interestingly enough, I, I think things may have changed. I haven't been there for years, but we didn't put the vendors themselves together. I guess it's just, you'd be on, you know, you sort of be on top of your competitor. Uh, do you find as, in, you know, in the communities that you've been a part of, 
are they good at policing to keep people from selling to each other? Is there like a one strike and you're out type of situation in those environments? Yes, there is. So you might know that a vendor sponsors like one of the communities I'm in. It's definitely sponsored by a few different marketing software companies and you know it, but if you get try to get sold to you, if you tell somebody that runs the community, they'll they'll kick the people out. I even I don't know. I when I sometimes will go to an event and then immediately afterwards the sponsor emails me. I guess I I expect it, but I don't like it, right? Because I'm not really a lead. I didn't even download a white paper or something like that. Like I just showed up at someone else's event that they happened to sponsor. It feels like too fast for me. I think I'm the same way, even though I'm I'm in marketing and (laughs) I should have a different answer. I'm the same way. I'm a fan of this one podcast where they ask this this kind of cool final question, which is like. Uh, it's a CS podcast, uh, customer success podcast. And you always ask the person, you know, if you were to go to another company and they were struggling with their customer success and retention, what's a play that you've run before that would be one of the first plays you'd run when you went to the new place? I'll repurpose that question with a, a tip of the hat to the guy's name is Andrew Michael. He's got two first names. Uh, it's the churn.fm podcast, if anyone cares uh, or is interested. But for you, Caroline, if you were to to get a new role and and people were struggling with their channel engagement or trying to start up a new, you know, indirect channel if they had a direct direct channel what's what's the first thing that you would do maybe a play that you've run before? I don't know I wouldn't say it's a play I've run before but I would definitely invest in and in having a way to to get all the information that the partners would need in one spot. I will say that was one of the biggest gaps I had in doing channel partnerships where we invested in the portal the initial investment but didn't go any further for at least the duration that I was there. And that was a huge blocker. I agree. Like having everything they need in one spot where they don't have to go searching through emails and finding things you may have sent them earlier is a big time saver. Yeah. It it seems to apply to the world of sales content management also, right? Is, you know, you buy a sales content management platform, everyone gets all excited. They put all this stuff in it. And then lo and behold, six months passes, 12, 18, and, and then you've got stale information in there and no one's curated it and no one's added new stuff. And, and it's, it's become a big, you know, just a big mess. Fortunately, search is getting smarter, but, but that's a, a huge risk. We do have one of those and we've been very diligent about upkeep and it's been a huge time saver for, for marketing and for sales. I, I would say for a partner though, the portal is 10x that especially in organizations where you do have channel conflict, where there's maybe lead registration, there's deal collaboration, anything in that kind of context, I think you truly need something to collaborate in and any resources that are possibly available, keeping them updated, keeping maybe a conversation going as well. That's my go-to for if I get a new channel role. Brilliant. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for being on and, and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you both. I enjoyed this. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 